invite you to turn into your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, you'll find that on page 1823 of the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. One of the last times I was here, I spoke on the first part of chapter 5. Now I'm going to be talking about the last part of chapter 5. So, one of those weird things that you don't realize, oh yeah, maybe I should finish this. So, hopefully we'll finish up the chapter this morning. So, all right. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord that we will be contemplating this morning. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray that the Lord would bless it to us at this time. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read our passage for this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts engage our minds that we would hear from you this morning, that we would be blessed, that our faith may grow, that you would be praised, and that the name of Christ would go from this place. As we ask the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now, I will warn you, this is not the first time I've delivered this sermon. And the last time I delivered this sermon, I was actually a seminary student far from home in New York. And after I had delivered this sermon, I had a wonderful old saint of the church come up to me and go, I want to thank you for that sermon so much. It was such a blessing to me. If my husband was alive, he would have loved to hear this one. By the way, are you married? My answer then, as it is now, is no, I'm not. No, I don't have a girlfriend, and no, there's no real prospects out there yet. But I feel qualified to preach on this because it's not my authority that I bring. No, I'm not going to bring you 25 or 30 or, as my grandparents recently celebrated, 60 years of marriage experience. But what I can bring you is the Word of God. And that's what the most important thing is. 
And when I asked my grandparents at their 60th wedding anniversary, it's been 60 years. My generation barely lasts five. There's more divorces now than marriages in my generation. So 60 years, and I hear, well, we never missed going to church. We always heard the word. So what does the word say? Well, in Ephesians 5 here, Paul is specifically talking about being imitators of God, walking in love, living this life of love just as Christ had loved us. And now as he goes into this diatribe of what it means to do this, he starts getting into the nitty-gritty, where the rubber meets the road here. And he says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does he mean by that? And he talks about this in three specific ways. He talks about wives and husbands. He talks about children and parents. And he talks about slaves and masters. We're only going to discuss the first one this morning. And this has always been a contentious point. Ever since Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The first verse we're going to look at this morning. And this has had books written about just this one phrase. What does it mean to submit? Does it mean I do this? Does it mean I do that? Does it mean this and that and the other thing? We try and parse this out 500 million ways. But what's key here is that we keep reading. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Back in Roman era, wives were to submit to their husbands because he was the patriarch. And being married to a patriarch allowed you to do certain things. It allowed you to operate businesses. It allowed you to be part of this social circle or that social circle. Everything was around the husband that you have. But Paul here says, wives, your relationship is not merely a political one. Wives, your submission is not merely to get what you can get just by being married to so-and-so or being the relative of so-and-so or by having this name or that name. Wives, you submit to your husbands because now you have a relationship to the Lord. Your relationship with your husband is because you have a relationship that has been bonded with Christ. The way you relate to your husband is the way Christ relates to his church. Now, that doesn't mean that you submit in all things, all times, because let's be honest, there are certain times when husbands can be very non-Christ-like. We see that in this world. And I will always issue that caveat. 
because there is no one who in this world should have to submit to abuse, ever. Just as Christ does not abuse his church, so too a husband does not abuse his wife. And so too, if Christ was not who he said he was, there would be no wife to follow after him. You see, when Paul at the very end talks about that this is a profound mystery, talking about Christ and the church, everything that comes through with theology, talking about Christ as liar, lunatic, Lord, all of this still even is, in, is pictured, is imaged in our marriages. But as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, wives, thank you. You, as a picture of the church, as submitting to your husbands, even maybe when you disagree, you have given such a bright light to those around you. And maybe there is an opportunity where you're talking one day to another wife, to another young woman even. When he did this, did you really agree with that? Well, no, but he's the head of the house. Showing Christ through submission. But I want to move on to verse 25. Because this is where I did the bulk of my study, and this is really what hit me hard this week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's got to love Paul's writing. He can never say it in one verse. He's got to do it in three with one sentence. But husbands, the initial call is to love your wife. Love. Don't acquiesce. Don't tolerate. Don't just, okay, by mutual respect, we'll do these things. Husbands, love your wives. I was recently talking to a friend of mine. His marriage is quite literally on the rocks right now. And he goes, well, I just don't know if I love her anymore. And I go, no, you don't get it. That's not your call. Your call is to love your wife. And I wanted so much to quote Vadi Bakum to him. And he goes, well, I don't know if I love my wife. Well, no, no, no. Husbands love your wives. Well, you know, we're going to get a divorce. She's not going to be my wife anymore. Okay, fine. They will know you are Christians by the love you have one for another, so love your wife. Okay, but you know what? She's not even a Christian. We, we, we can't even see eye to eye on theological matters. Okay. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Go home and love your wife. You see, as Vadi Bakum so succinctly put there, and the thing that I wanted to tell my friend, and what goes on here in Ephesians 5 is quite simple. There is no excuse that a husband have, has where he can stop loving his wife. Because there is no point in recorded history, in any, 
in any bound of Scripture where we see that Christ ever stopped loving the church. While we were enemies, strangers with God, Christ died for us. We hear about beloved in Christ. We are called that. We are marked with that. Husbands, love your wives. It's that simple. And yet it's that difficult. But how are we supposed to do this? Well, there's three specific points. One, he gives himself up for her. The love of Christ to the church and the love of husbands to wives is supposed to be typified by a selflessness. One of the issues that my friend is currently having with his marriage is that there is a lot of selfish behavior. She wants to spend time together. She wants to do things as a family together, and he likes playing a lot of video games and talking with his friends. He likes going out to sporting events and likes being away from the house. Many of the times when she says, hey, can you help with this? It's, I understand that, but I need to work on this project. I need to get this done for work. One of the things that I talked to him about quite seriously was, you need to ask yourself a very, very important question. What's more important, the love of your wife or just five extra dollars on the paycheck? You see, a Christian marriage should be typified by a selfless understanding of what it means to love one another. We are called to live as wise, not unwise, making the most of every opportunity. Paul says that in Ephesians 5, just before this. What opportunities have you had this week, gentlemen, to demonstrate a selfless love for your wife? That's a serious question that we need to ask ourselves. And I can hear the question now, you don't have a wife, how are you doing that? Single men, gentlemen who maybe even have a girlfriend or something like that, those who maybe have lost your wives. We are not exempt from this. Just because I don't have a ring on my finger doesn't mean that I can't love who Christ has put in front of me. Christ loves the church, and so I should as well. There should be a selfless love of the bride of Christ. Because part of that bride of Christ, Lord willing, will one day be the person that God selects for me to call wife, spouse, beloved. 
But if I'm not preparing now for that, how in the world could I ever look someone else in the eye and go, yes, I'm ready to live selflessly. Yes, I have no problem. I've been living for myself the last 30 years. No, single men, when Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her, we as gentlemen are to do the same. We may not be married to a specific woman in this world, but just as Paul talks about to the Ephesians and the Colossians, we have more time for the church. We can be concerned about spiritual things. We don't have earthly things to worry about as much. So the question we need to ask ourselves on this one is, do we demonstrate to the world around us a selflessness that is typified in how we treat our closest of significant others? The second thing that Christ does that Paul talks about in this passage is that he sanctifies her. To sanctify something is to cleanse it, to make it holy, to set it apart. Christ specifically tags the church just as a husband specifically tags his wife and a wife specifically tags her husband as set apart. I talked about it beforehand. I don't have a wedding ring on. But husbands, wives, I bet there's something on you that is specifically designed to embody your marriage. Something that specifically says, even in our culture, that is so far wandered away from what the Word of God has said, that even they look at it and go, oh, that person's taken. That person is not like everyone else. They're set apart. They're designed for something special. They have a special relationship with someone else. You see, Christ, when he sanctifies the church, he sets her apart from the rest of the world. He says, you're not like those who walk the broad path of destruction. You are those who I have called and given the ability and given the grace to walk the narrow road, to persevere. You are set for my bride. The third thing he does is he cleanses her. He cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. He cleanses her by the washing with water with or through the word. That's the third thing. You see this bride. And this was a typical thing back in that custom where 
as we just heard, Rebecca, sorry, Isaac. But we hear about in wedding traditions, even at that time, where the bride would be washed, would be cleaned, would put on white, even now in our culture today. Brides typically wear white. They typically wear white because they are a symbol of the church, the holiness, the purity. He makes her holy. He sanctifies her by washing. As I made reference to earlier in Isaiah, though our sins be like scarlet, May you wash us whiter than wool. God, when he calls us out, doesn't just leave us in our bloody, horrible, sin-stained mess. He washes us with water, the mark of baptism, the symbol that points to so many things throughout the history of the church and through Israel, the biggest of which being walking through the Red Sea being separated from Egypt. You have been marked. You have been set apart. You have been washed. Why? Well, let's look at verse 27. Sorry. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He, did I miswrite? Nope, sorry, I miswrote this down. I, yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. I was making a reference to one thing, and I totally wrote down the wrong verse here. Instead, what I was trying to do was, it was verse 27, I was right the first time, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Yes, we can make mistakes too. It happens. It would help if I put my notes in the right order. (laughs) But verse 27, why does this happen? Because she is to be presented. There is a marriage ceremony that is supposed to be going on here. That there is a presentation of the church to himself in splendor. That the church is not just left as the one who is dark-skinned, working in the field, who has been mistreated by those around her, as we hear about in the Song of Solomon. But instead, she is washed. She is cared for. She is taken care of. She is dressed up. She is cleaned. She is anointed. And she is absolutely arrayed in as much beauty as possible. The splendor of holiness. It's typified by three things. Without stain, without wrinkle, and without any other blemish. Those three things are typified 
as no artificial thing that's been introduced, no stain, no wrinkle, no malformation, and no other blemish. Nothing else natural or artificial that would in other ways take away from the purity of the life of the church. Those are the same three things we hear about the lambs that are supposed to be offered for sacrifice. It's the same three words that Christ, when he is talked about as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is without stain, without wrinkle, and without blemish. And so Christ, in his love, as he looks to the church, does the same for his church, he makes her more like himself. Holy. Blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He says, even if you don't understand all the references, even if you're not getting everything I'm laying down here, even if the language might be confusing, even if you're just a baby in the Christian faith, here's an example. In the same way, husbands, just as you feed and clothe yourself, just as you work so that you can do things that you like to do, just as you house yourself, just as you typify your life with the things around you, so too you are to love your wife. And he references Genesis in this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The reason why you're supposed to love your wife as you love your own body is because the two are now one. If you want to love your own body, you love your wife too. If you want to make sure that you are well provided for, well, guess what? There's another piece of you sitting next to you. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. You're no longer part of your previous house. You are a new house. You will be united to his wife. You leave and you cleave. And the two will become one flesh. You know, this reminds me of a friend of mine I had in college. He was a roommate of mine and he was hilarious because he was all about his studies. He loved doing certain things. He was all about, you know, taking his French courses and taking his English courses. He was going to get a doctorate. He had all these plans. And he ended up marrying a girl who was so timid and so quiet that I, I seriously, and I actually was the best man in his wedding, I was seriously questioning things. Because I'm, I started scratching my head and I'm going, his personality is so strong and so forward and so headlong, she is going to get swallowed up. T 
two years later, after we graduated, I met them again. Guess who started the conversation? She did. That timid, quiet, introverted little girl that I knew blossomed and actually was over-talking her husband. The personalities that I thought were so incompatible, you started to see bleed through on both sides. Marriage doesn't leave two people independent just in a platonic relationship sharing the same household. I'm sure through the years of marriage that many of the couples in our congregation have had, you've been influenced by your husband and wife just as much as you've influenced your husband or wife, haven't you? The gospel demonstrates that or tells us that. But it also points to the fact that if we are truly part of the church, that if we are truly called by Christ, that we too should be influenced by our heavenly husband. That our lives are not to be what they always have been. But rather, as we grow closer, as we become more united with Christ, our behavior needs to change. Our personalities will change so that we become more like Christ, holy and blameless. That's the beauty of sanctification. Once justified, we are being sanctified. Once the pronouncement has been made, you are husband and wife, then comes the years of marriage. Once the judgment, the justification, has been arrayed, now comes the years of sanctification. You see, when Paul says this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church, the beauty of marriage, the beauty of walking in love pictured throughout all of this is that when we take a look at Christ and the church, we should be able to see the markers of a good church as the markers of a good marriage. And for those of us who hope one day to be married, for those of us who one day, even if we are not going to be married, what does it mean for us to have the markers of a true husband or a true wife to Christ? What does it mean to be so united that we have left the father and mother of lies and joined with our new husband, Christ? Are we, true, are we truly working towards the uniting of two becoming one flesh? And that's not to say that the struggle isn't real. That isn't to say that the falling and the faltering and all the other issues that happen during our lives, the, the problems that we have with sin, that's not to say that that doesn't happen. But what is your conscious effort? Paul finishes with this. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. 
and the wife must respect her husband. The beauty of a Christian marriage, the beauty of a life that is devoted to Christ, is that it's not done for political gain. It's not done just to make things easier. It's not done because of this advantage or that advantage. The true beauty of a Christian marriage, the true beauty of a life lived, married to Christ, is that it is typified, it is marked, it is guided, it is gloriously grown up and through by the love of God. And so as we go from this place this morning, let us this week, this month, this lifetime, may we love our husbands and our wives as Christ loves the church. And you single people, you kids, demonstrate Christ's love because you're part of the church too. You too can show the love of Christ to those around you. Let's do so this week, being holy and blameless. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of glory once again. We have heard your word. Lord, may it blossom in our hearts. May our lives be defined as lives of love. May we, as we go from this place into the world that you have created, may we bring forth truth. May we bring forth life. May we bring you to the nations around us. May we do so in even such subtle ways as people will come to us and say, why do you act that way? And we can say with confidence, I am no longer my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. May that be what typifies our week. This we pray in the name of our beloved husband, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.